filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. That, Jason, you said it before we we started recording. That is just an amazing goal to win promotion to the Premier League on. Incredible in the truest sense of the word. It is not a credible goal. <laughs> it was a wonderful uh, piece of scouting and execution by Fulham. Uh, and just the most needlessly aggressive, silly goalkeeping um, from Brentford. But Nate, I know you're happy. I am delighted. Right off the training ground, incredible stuff. Everyone on Twitter saying the goalie's a joke. Shut up. It's an amazing goal. (laughs) I'm so happy. Joe Bryan, who I have spoken ill of so many times, I take everything back, I said, and he's a wonderful man, and he scored two beautiful goals, and Fulham is back, and I'm so happy. I mean, it's that classic win or go home performance where a left back scores a brace. I mean, yep. we've seen it time and again, haven't we throughout history? I think, sure. I think he's kicked the ball with his right foot nine times his entire life. And he scored his <laughs> second goal in a playoff <laughs> final with his right foot. And like, sure, of course, that's how it happens. I mean, off the top of my head, the only individual performance I can think of that tops it if, is Carly Lloyd at the world cup final. No other individual performance in the history of soccer. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm thinking of if we're talking about um, critical goals for or like a fullback scores your goals uh, in, in a game of this importance. I'm thinking of like Lillian Turam in World Cup 98 uh, in the semifinal against Croatia scoring two goals. Um, and that's about it. <laughs> I got to go back to a different century to come up with another example. Matt Doyle can shut up on Twitter. I've seen him <laughs> making fun of this goal. It was a brilliant piece of design play. And I mean, I'm so happy. It's the kind of design play that you only do when you know, you only practice it when you know the goalkeeper is is a little bit um, off his rocker. <laughs> yeah. Like, most goalkeepers wouldn't do that. And I, I forget who it was. Um, somebody from DC United's front office history uh tweeted out a video of of Jaime Moreno doing the same thing to Matt Reese but in live play no, was, in open play yeah, that was that yeah. was the 2004 Eastern Conference uh, final yeah, yeah exactly um, that was that was I think less of a scouting thing that was a like they that was did a, a recognition in the moment yeah yeah that was, they yeah. Did a short corner and Reese was clearly cheating for the uh, cross and he's like I I guess I'll just shoot is that cool and uh <laughs> it was it was cool the ball actually somehow recycled. It got all the way to zone 14, just like the top of the D, and then comes back out to Moreno. So it's not like Reese was just happened to be out there. Uh, he's, he was just playing the cross over aggressively, and you saw it on his face afterwards. He didn't, he didn't do the, I'm going to try to save face by diving 
embarrassingly um thing he went with the the david bingham um uh from a well, one of the uh, free kick goals uh bingham just sort of stood there and the and then like the ball wasn't really even in the corner i can't remember which game it was um from mls's back but uh yeah he just sort of stood there and the ball got over the wall and he's like oh mm. and then it was in he's like oh oh well that sucks for me uh, as if the goalkeeper. David... If David Raya, the Brentford goalkeeper, had just watched it go in and said, like, oh, I'm wrong-footed, I think it would be one thing. It was the ridiculous <laughs> leap after the ball's already yes. in the net with his arms splayed out. It's like, buddy, now you look like an idiot. Like, before yeah. you would have been like, oh, you got caught, it happens, soccer's a funny game. But now you look like a buffoon. It was like a Ace Ventura dive. Like, it was so right. ridiculous. It's, it, it was the kind of dive you see ball. in... In like a, a movie featuring soccer in which the yes. <laughs> the the actors are like, what do I do? I jump that way. And it, movie goalkeeping that, is always the worst the... aspect of it, so, uh, of soccer and movies. And this was definitely right in there. Just someone, was I a... don't know if you guys watched the English game, but it had so many of those just like terrible goalkeeping. They were less cartoonish leaps but just the ball's going at you and you just fall down and miss it like the robot who puts his arms up and falls over like so many that just looked like that we've seen some of those in in mls's back for some reason the goalkeeping has just been below par in this tournament but this was this was the highlight of of this summer's goalkeeping for me hey hey welcome in (laughs) this is filibuster the black and red united and Nate's happy about Fulham podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. I'm also happy for Fulham. I'm happy for Nate. Joined by Thank Jason you. Anderson. Ben Bromley uh, has a seal's head on his head, I think, is what I saw on Twitter. He's at the beach right now. Um, we'll say he's on assignment down there. So he won't be joining us. Instead, we have a guest host, our good friend, Nate Scott from For the Win and USA Today. And the Sneak Podcast, now out in season two, joins us. Nate, welcome back. Thanks, guys. Delighted to be here. As our our visitor this evening, I'll ask you first, what are you drinking? I'm drinking uh, Tiny Tess Mosaic Session India Pale Ale from Portland, Maine. I'm up in Maine visiting my folks, and this is the beer my dad had in the fridge, and it's delicious. I'm very happy. I've had a few. I'll be totally honest with you guys. Fulham (laughs) was a nervy experience, and I've had a... (laughs) I've had a nervy afternoon and now a few cold ones to kind of take the edge off. So apologies that for, wave, for whatever friend. I say this evening to everyone. <laughs> no need to apologize. Uh, if Ben were drinking beer his dad had in the fridge, I think, yeah. we're, or at least his father-in-law, we're pretty sure it would be Miller High Life. So well, it, I think... Yeah, he, yeah ben, ben has a long history of being gifted um, uh, Dos Equis by his father, I think, Um and he doesn't really want the Dos Equis, but he always receives it. So you've already one-upped him by getting what sounds like a significantly better beer. It's great. Though there are Bud Lights <laughs> waiting for after when this is done. Too. Nice. So that's, where, that's where we'll be ending the podcast, I think. <laughs> Jason, what are you drinking? Oh. Uh, so I was talking to a friend, and he had made a um, lazy Paloma sort of thing. Uh, he didn't even have a lime, so he just put tequila and grapefruit soda basically. Um, and I was like, that sounds pretty good. I'm going to do that. So I made myself a Paloma, but I've got, I, I stepped it up a little from, from my friend. I won, I got a lime. Um, 
because I had them already. So I, I did that. Um, and this is more of a, I think I've done this on the show. I did this um, equal parts tequila and mezcal. And then I add a couple spoonfuls of my um, Fresno chili infused tequila that I made last year. I think that's, it's still, I've still got some left cause it's, it's spicy enough that you don't really use very much in one sitting. Um, so yeah, I've got like a spicy smoky Paloma going on. Nice. I have a, a more basic Paloma going on um, because what's, I... What's happening? Yeah, it, it, yeah it's guys, a Paloma tonight. If, if I had known, geez. <laughs> we, we, don't, we deliberately don't share the memo on drinking uh, what we're drinking until the show starts. And apparently we were just on a wavelength tonight. I, I think I decided earlier in the week, like last week, I was like, next time we record, I'm going to make Palomas. Made sure we had limes. We got limes from the cantina around the corner. Um, because they do, you know, grocery take home type stuff during the pandemic. And the limes we get from them are just the giant, like biggest honking limes you've ever seen, um, like bigger than lemons. Um, and they just juice for days. It's wonderful. So happy about it. Are, um, are you going so far as to call them top shelf? I I would go so far. I would say they are the, the toppest <laughs> shelf. <laughs> Top, uh, I feel like it's not a <laughs> word. Um, so we're gonna have to work on that. I think. Yeah, we we'll we'll get you know we'll we'll go through a branding retreat or something to figure out <laughs> exactly how what shelf these limes are on. We'll, we'll uh, workshop it. There you go. Uh, let's let's start the soccer portion of the evening or the the domestic soccer portion of the evening with uh, some MLS news reporting from Stephen Goff of the Washington Post that MLS games will resume in market this very month. Uh, the idea will be for everyone in the league to play six games over a three-week period, at which point, I don't know, the players will be dead of COVID or fatigue. I don't know which. Um, but presumably they would want to keep playing games at that point and not being in the position to explain away very sick players and staff. I don't know. It seems like they are going to be in a position of trying to explain away coronavirus outbreaks on teams if they go forward with this and i i was not confident in the bubble but it worked once they got into it this especially with major league baseball and usl uh canceling games left and right because of team-based outbreaks i i really don't feel good about this it's absolutely confounding <laughs> we, we, we we've seen one one way to make this work, and it's the bubble. The bubble's the only way to make this work. It, you put people in a bubble and you test like crazy, and the NBA pulled it off, and MLS, after some hiccups, pulled it off, and they're basically saying, okay, this is the one thing that seems to work. MLB is a total disaster right now. They're probably not going to get the entire season in. NFL has more money than God, and they might not even be able to pull this off. We're going to do that. <laughs> it's like there's right. there's... There's just no way. I mean, um, I wouldn't feel good about going to Audi Field right now. I, I can't imagine. I mean, they're talking about bringing fans in, even in a limited right. capacity. It seems, and, and I don't know if you saw in the Goff report, you know, they're talking about we're going to get fans back in and we're going to do this. And Edison Flores might be coming back because he's mourning the death of his grandmother who died of COVID-19, which is horrifying. But it, it's even kind of, even more horrifying that we're even having this discussion while something like that is happening. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of flabbergasted by it. I was surprised. 
Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, to Nate's point about them having fans at Audi Field, it feels it feels like the only thing that's going to stop DC United from trying to do that would be the local jurisdiction saying you can't have fans. Um, and uh, I know that there have already been reports that they're looking at um, possibly trying to host a game at Segra or out here uh, at Navy Marine Corps Stadium. I, as I've said on Twitter, I think Anne Arundel County's uh, county executive is not going to allow fans for that. Um, they already turned down lacrosse had an event up here with no fans and they wanted fans and they said, no, you can't have fans. Um, and if Anne Arundel County is saying no to lacrosse, uh, I have a lifetime of experience telling me that it's going to be a harder no for soccer because this is, uh, this is unfortunately for me, lacrosse country, um, Uh which means if they aren't willing to to bend the rules for them, it's not going to happen for DC United either. Um, and it shouldn't, um, (laughs) It's not a good idea to do this. Um, I watched uh, Loudon's game against Hartford. Um, I guess it was a couple days ago. Um, yeah, a couple days ago. And seeing fans at Hart and Hartford's got limited capacity. But even seeing every time I let my eyes leave the playing surface and went to the stands, I was like, "That's too many people. They're all too close together. This is nuts." Um, and that's, I guess, what MLS wants all over. Um, yeah, it's. I don't. I, I don't think that there's a way to do it without having major problems. And USL is having major problems. It's just that there isn't enough coverage of USL soccer in general, so it's not getting picked up. That I mean, um, the Galaxy Two team had what, what was it, eleven positives in, in like a one swift outbreak. Um, yeah. that's how fast it can get out of hand for you. Um, so yeah. Uh, you know, MLS trying to do it with charters and private buses, that's something, uh, because at least the travel part of it is less exposed than their normal standard of of flying with the rest of us. Um, but I, I still feel like you still have to get to the airport and get out of the airport. There's people there. You're going to be exposed there. Um, you might have to go to a hotel, depending on how far it is. You're going to get exposed there. Um, if there are and fans in the stands, uh, you know, the whole building is unsafe in a bubble either. Like they're right. going home to their families, some of whom are probably out in the world working or eating at a restaurant or, or whatever. I mean, we saw Matt Stafford of the Detroit lions caught it after being out at parties and at bars. Um, players don't always make the right decision. These are right. young people who feel invincible. That's their job to feel invincible and to feel more powerful and better than a lot of people in the world. And, they're going to make mistakes because of that mindset sometimes. And so it's just inviting outbreaks. It's for, for me, just sort of the hubris of, I mean, I was on the, on the phone with deputy commissioner of MLS after that, that that DC game got postponed twice and won eight minutes before kickoff. And he sounded shook. Like they had their talking points, but like, it was like, you know, guys, is this going to happen? Are you going to be able to pull off this bubble tournament? Oh, you know, we're we're confident. You know, it it did not sound confident. Like they Mm -hmm. barely pulled that off. If they, if one other team had, if one team more team had like snuck out and gone to a bar or something and, or one player got a false negative, like that, they were this close to not pulling off that bubble, that the MLS is back tournament. They ended up pulling it off. And now to have kind of 
the hubris to say, all right, we're going to go out into the wide world and hold business as usual. And, oh, our three Canadian teams can't play in Canada. Oh, I guess we'll just move them to the United States. Like what, at what point is this something that is even being discussed? Like I'm just blown away by it. And I thought maybe they were leaking it to just kind of get the temperature, but it sounds like they really want to go ahead with this. I just, I can't believe it. Yeah. They're talking about starting games in less than three weeks. Uh, I think some teams would even like Nashville and Dallas, Dallas, because they have games to make up. They'd be playing games within what a week from now, Uh, like 10 days, I think. I think it was, or no, I think it's the 15th and the 18th were the dates that uh, golf, maybe golf. Someone mentioned someone reporting this mentioned those dates. Um, and then which the rest it, of the we're recording this on the, on the 21st. Yeah. So yeah, it seems uh, like a real bad idea that someone, someone above them, if they're, if they're, I mean, sometimes people are out of control and so, someone else with some authority over them has to be like, guys, this is a terrible idea. We can't do this. Like uh, you guys both have kids. If your kids are running around, like flipping tables over and breaking glass on the floor, you say, please stop breaking glass on the floor. This is not how we act here. Um, and, you know, I don't know that, I mean, MLS is getting kind of into the range where it's like someone has to step in and be like, nope, you can't do this. This is too dangerous. We'll find you something else to do. Um, and I know I feel bad because obviously players are desperate to play. Uh, teams have financial burdens on them that are difficult to deal with right now. Um, and I know the players are probably really glad to not be in a bubble, um, but as as Nate talked about at the beginning of this, we know the one way to get more soccer in. It's to do a bubble again. Um, we could we there's an established way of doing it. I assume doing it a second time, they could do a better job and not run so close to having it uh, go up in smoke. Because um, you know how bubbles go up in smoke. That's a good uh, mixed metaphor. Um, but yeah, um, you know that's that's the to me that's the way to do it is to just do another one in a little while. Um, and just try and do a better job of what you did the first time. And, you know, yes, the players are not, the clubs won't be getting the money that they want and the players won't be very happy doing another bubble tournament because it, it has to suck to be sent to Florida to spend a full month in, uh, you know, I think in Syria, they, they call it, um, um, was it, it being in concentration where you just go to a hotel as a team and that's all you can do is you're at the hotel you go to training and then you, do more tactical work and then you go to sleep and that's all you have. And that's not fun. Um, it's not a good way to conduct a, a, a fun life, but it's also the only viable way to do soccer right now. It seems like. I wonder if there are other locations besides Florida that could work for a bubble. Like I know U S soccer has their training grounds and, and facilities in Kansas city. Plus yeah. you have sportings uh, stadium, Arrowhead stadium, um, that that could be potential places for games. I don't know if it would work or not. The, the but StubHub Center has a huge swath of fields, um, so that's out there. But I mean, California probably wouldn't. I would assume would probably not even allow that gathering of just just yeah. the soccer people only. Um, right. I wonder I mean, if like, the Research Triangle in in North Carolina, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. I wonder right. if they have three colleges there. They three major universities they yeah. could probably i don't know if that would be up like to this. from a from a broadcasting perspective i don't know if it would be up to 
broadcast part the part the standards of the broadcast partners who are let's be honest uh probably influencing this quite a bit yes um, this is for them this is not for us this is not for the right. players these tournaments are for espn and fox and, and yeah. univision you know they could ring up uh since deloy hansen is so uh eager to bring people in they could ring him up and see if he, he wants to um they, they would have a harder time getting as many games in but they could try and replicate nwsl um they, it's not like they have a shortage of people that have access to some fields. The league is full of owners who have built various field facilities <laughs> across the country. Um, I think they just don't want to do a bubble again. And they're like, well, this will work, right? And no one's willing to stand up and say, no, this will not work. We know we know it won't work. We're, we're watching a league with a lot more money than us run into constant problems uh, in baseball. It's just a, a series of problems that should have someone should have pulled the plug on that. Like it feels like two weeks ago and they're still like, no, no, we're, we're good. Right. We play baseball. I thought the it's solution not- was going to be that they do a West coast, a Western conference bubble and an Eastern conference bubble. And you play your games out in your conference and they come up with some way to get the tournament, the, the West, the Western Eastern playoffs done. And then we get together for one game, the final. We got out of the season. Thank God, everyone. We did it. Let's let's move on to the next. But I, that just seemed like the obvious solution to me. And they're like sort of talking about doing that, but not really. So they want to keep travel short, but players can go home at the end of the day. So who can't, you know, at that point, what does it matter if it's a short charter flight or a long charter flight? It, you're, they're still getting on a flight. They're still going home at the end of the day. It just seems like lip service at that point. Like you're either going to do it or you're not. And if you're not, Mm -hmm. then just don't like, who cares? (laughs) Like this ridiculous, like, no, we're only going to have New York come down to play DC because. But DC's first game is going to be in Cincinnati because that is a very local trip, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. What it reminds me of is this, this thing that was going around yesterday of the Denver Broncos running through this um, sanit- so mm-hmm. supposedly this sanitizing machine where you run through yeah. and it sprays the top of your head. <laughs> and they're like, this is good, right? Like this did the job. Um, and everyone is like, no, come on. Um, this isn't even, this is preposterous is what this is. Not they effective. Did that as they came outside from what appeared to be a narrow hallway where yes. they were all bunched together. <laughs> yeah. Let's all, let's all stand real close to each other and then get the top of our heads sprayed down with something. And that'll fix our problems. Uh, and the sanitation theater aspect of it is also kind of galling. Like, you know, the the fact is they are still traveling. They are still uh, encountering people that are not part of the team bubble. That There is no way for these teams, other than the players driving themselves to Cincinnati and then hopping out and playing like a pickup team. Um, there is no real way for them. And like, I guess, I don't know, packing sandwiches, uh, stopping on the side of the road and eating sandwiches uh, halfway between. Um, I don't know how you can do this in a way that makes any sense. Um, I'm not going to lie. I would watch that content if they if they had a videographer <laughs> in there on either on the bus it's with just, them as they, they hopped out and had their sandwiches and orange slices on the side well, of the I road. Don't even and, mean, I'm taking it one step even beyond a bus. I'm saying like the guys meet up and do like a car caravan, like a travel team uh, circa... 1995 uh i'm thinking of like driving to manassas to play a a soccer game and it's just everyone meets everyone meets at the the giant uh at like 7 a.m and then uh 
my dad was the coach, so he was he had to be in charge of driving the caravan, and so we just everyone follows my dad, and we all drive all the way there, and then oftentimes you know scrape out a stupid one one draw. You get your so now, you get your Lysol shower, and then you go on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, now the wheels are turning. I want to know who's driving each car. Because um, presumably the players themselves are just going to be passengers, so they're not totally spent. You got Ben Olsen's car. Uh, Chad Ashton has a car. Rory Maeda is going to be the cool car. That's where the good music's going to be. <laughs> um, maybe Sam has a car that, that he's driving, or he's driving a team van or something. Sam um, Leg has the has the fifteen year olds, and they're just screaming <laughs> and kicking and kicking him in the back of the head. So he's just like God. Kevin Paredes just playing FIFA and beating everyone <laughs> exactly. on his phone in the back. I know, I know. Um, Russell Knauss has like a Range Rover that he's had um, done up with like a matte black paint. I, I feel like he's the guy, or like a, I think it's a wrap. Um, I think I've talked about this with Pablo Maurer, who is a me- or is sometimes still a mechanic when he is not writing. Um, he knows more about this than I ever will. So, um, but I feel like I feel like Knauss is. is proud of his car and would like to be one of the guys like, no, we should drive in my car. Um, so I feel like he's, he's taking three or four guys with him. Is he letting someone else drive though? Or, or is he driving nine hours and then starting? No, he's driving the whole way. (laughs) I, I have had a question and maybe your listeners can, can get to me on this. Have we found anyone who's bought a house off of Russell Knauss yet? you know he's a licensed uh, realtor yeah. in, oh, we know. in Virginia. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This um, is something I, I wanna like, like I wanna know his like his manner and the I, I wanna is he is he like a harsh closer or is he does he let you settle into the house? So like I wanna what, know his what I his what I've seen style. is that he wants to cater to professional athletes oh. and cater to that that market because he can he can understand what they're going through and and everything, even if he's oh. not quite being paid as much as uh, as your nfl that's or NBA. disappointing I want, I want him like getting someone in like a starter condo you know like <laughs> this this might uh, meet, meet some undercover or some investigative reporting nate you got to go oh, man. line him up Rus- and russell i'll be in the market in three to five years let's, <laughs> let's start let's start a conversation now i i will tell you i i i talked to him about their return to play again, like everything this year, it feels like it's six months ago, but I think it was just like last month um, before the bubble got going. Um, But I talked to him about that and we did get on the topic of what else he was doing. And it just came up the general fact that he's got like five businesses going uh, because he's very entrepreneurial and he got really excited very briefly to talk about any of that stuff. So um, it's definitely something that like, he would like to talk about. Um, so maybe I, I feel like I pitched. Gotta... I feel like I pitched DC United on the story and just never heard back. But <laughs> that was also the let me talk to Bill Hamid about everything that's going on right now. And they were like, maybe in a little bit we'll like talk to Bill about everything that's going on right now. We need some. We need to keep that quiet for right now. Everything, just his thoughts on the world. But Bill. Get in touch, man. Let's talk. <laughs> Got a big platform. Um, what are we even talking about, guys? <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm done talking about MLS yeah. making yeah, bad that, decisions. Right. Like we could spend an hour just being like, "What a bad idea!" But I feel like we've made our point. We've mm-hmm. we've said what what is going to be said. It's not going to get better. 
So uh, I'll, I'll end it on a happier note, noting that uh, the MLS is back or the, the, the shirts they're wearing on the sidelines at MLS is back. The Black Lives Matter shirts that Warren Craval designed are now on sale and proceeds go to to charity. So if you're interested in that, go to the league website, go to the league store and, and you can buy them there. Um, but I'm, I'm all for supporting charity and wearing cool shirts. So you can guess whether I'm going to be, be spending some money on one that does it for, for this segment. We will be right back to talk about DC United and a broader look at what the team needs to do. Please stick around. It's filibuster. All right, say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to, uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster welcome back to filibuster the black and red united podcast we will get to dc united in just a moment but we have nate scott with us here tonight and uh i wanted to ask him about season two of sneak featuring uh jack roland murphy who who seems like a is he actually the most interesting man in the world uh yeah i i mean <laughs> he's a horrifying man too which yeah. we'll get into but uh, yeah no no very uh like there's a part in the in the podcast i think you're alluding to this is the, the true crime podcast I hope for I host for USA Today and Wondery called The Sneak and our subject in season two is a national surfing champion who then pulled off the biggest jewel heist in American history before then murdering uh two at least two people. He says now more people. Um anyway, uh but he was telling us his life story and he's like, you know, and then I did this and then I met Richard Nixon and then I was an acrobat diver with the Flying Walenda Circus. And then I got a tennis scholarship to play at the University of Pittsburgh. And I was in the National Symphony Orchestra when I was eight years old in the youth orchestra for the state of California. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy's just. And then a researcher was like, no, he did all of those things. That's all. <laughs> that's all real. And here's a video of him doing the the circus dives and i was like oh good god he's he's he's, this is real so yes very very interesting dude um who i got to spend the better part of i don't know six six months uh off and on getting to know so 
Yeah, I've 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 listened to the first two episodes, um, and I, I guess what I noticed first is that like in that era, it sounds like heists were less glamorous uh, than uh, we're led to believe from heist movies. Heist movies make it sound like there's an elaborate process, and in this case, it sounds like it was just sort of like, so you want to go steal this stuff? Like, sure, let's do it. Yeah, it turns out before like security cameras, uh, <laughs> like. And DNA testing that, like, if someone left a window open, you could really do – you could walk into the White House if you wanted. Or, like, he told us – we couldn't even get it in the podcast. He broke into the Smithsonian in D.C. What? Just on a whim. <laughs> just to kind of see if he could get in. And they were about to steal some stuff, and a guard walked up, and so they, like, they like left. But that was sort of their game they would play, is they would try and get in places. And then – it sounds like they would try and get in a place and then kind of, all right, is something going to go wrong? All right, we'll leave. But with the, with the National Muse- uh, Museum of Natural History in New York City, no one ever said anything. And so they just kept going and kept going. And then a window was open, so they kept going. And then they stole a priceless gem collection out of the, the Museum of Natural History. Man, I... I would ask more, but I want to direct people to to the sneak. I don't know yeah. why. It's a much larger podcast than than we are. But <laughs> yeah, we, I will say that the first two episodes, it's very great. It, it does take on a Breaking Bad-esque. Uh, by the end of the season, it's a much different podcast. It, it starts off very fun, and it's 60s and cool surfer guys and heists, and we play cool music, and it's really fun. And by the end... Uh, this guy Jack and I have totally turned on each other and it gets pretty personal and, and mean and, and horrifying. And so uh, that's kind of how it, how it all ends with me and a, an 82 year old man screaming at each other on the phone. So you have that to look forward to. I actually am looking it, forward to it's it. It's out now. Really. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> the Sneak season two, wherever you get your podcasts, check it out. Our our, our buddy Nate is the host of that. Uh, DC United, speaking of yelling at people over the phone, yeah. uh, DC United obviously out of MLS's back after finishing last in Group C. We have no games or news to break down, so let's take a step back. I want to know what y'all think black and red need to do to take the next step, whatever that means in whatever context that means. It, it's something we've been waiting for and we've been promised uh, would happen after Audi field opened. And you can say Wayne Rooney was supposed to be that next step. It obviously wasn't a lasting step. Um, so, so I have a few different contexts written down, but I just want to open the floor. Jason, what do you want to see? What's what's the top thing on your mind when you think about taking the next step? Uh, you know, I was thinking about this while I was making my drink, and I think the team is starting to get the ball rolling off the field as far as their how they express themselves to fans. I mean, we don't have the in-stadium experience much of this year. We only have the two games. Um, but it seems like with the people they've hired, uh, as far as content creation and stuff, there's they're starting to show that they get what it is to be DC United. Um, I've been thinking about that question more in the last couple of days since, since I floated this idea for even the subject of the podcast because of a great article that uh, J Sam Jones wrote for dirty South soccer about Atlanta United 
because um, he kind of gets at the fact that what what is it to be Atlanta? And it's not just that to be a team that wins a bunch. That's not a personality. That's not a culture. That's just a, a thing that's happening. Um, and the team is starting to get back to that. There There is more of a, they, I feel more understood as a fan by this year than, than I have in previous years. So I think that is, it's not complete by any means, but they've, they've gotten the ball rolling there. Um, but I, I feel like part of what it is to be DC United is that the on-field side has to be good too. And I liked what I heard coming in during the preseason about, you know, playing a different way, being a little more aggressive without the ball, taking a few more risks. Um, the move to get Edison Flores was a, was a, it uh, was appealing to me. Um, trading for Julian Gressel, uh, was a big move. I, I liked that that was an aggressive move because it seemed like DC had at the time, it was like Ariola Flores Assad. That's pretty good. Right. And then they went and got another guy and it's like, okay, that's cool. That's like an old DC United thing to do. Um, I like this. Um, but then, you know, because the way the season played out, we got two games where that plan didn't really work, but it's also, you know, it's the first two games it's, it's changing the culture of a team that has largely been reactive for a long time. So I, I was, I understood that it was going to take a while. Um, but then to come for MLS's back and sort of, you know, the shift looked like it was very much a lot of late 2019 DC United soccer, um, which is to say press for 15 minutes and then hang on. Um, and that was kind of it. There wasn't a lot, there wasn't, it wasn't a deep, uh, thing. It was, it was kind of surface level. Um, and I did not want to see that. Uh, so I, I think what I want to see is a commitment to a style of play. Um, and I don't think, I don't think the, the style we got at MLS is back or late in 2019, which was very much about let's get some wins and see, and see if we can grind our way into the playoffs. Those weren't so much commitments as they were, this is what we got to do for the time being. Um, I, I would like to see a commitment towards something. Um, and I realize that that might mean taking some losses. You might get blown out. Um, but I think, I think we've all had enough of just getting by, just getting into the playoffs and not, and not really getting in, but then being like, there's no real way that we're going to get through this. Like we're not going to get more than one or two rounds through this thing. Um, there's got to be some attempt to recalibrate and push towards a, a different style that is like the style. And it's not, well, for now, we'll, we'll do this for the next few weeks and see what happens. Um, so that's that's what worries me is, is more this really broad idea of just figuring out who you want to be and then getting really getting rolling on, on that. Um, I think MLS is back was a great opportunity to just try and whatever the plan early in the season was try and do that again. Um, but they got away from it. And so now we're sort of adrift right now, I feel like. Uh, I, I agree completely. You know, I think what's frustrating for me is I can sort of see how this team was built. And the problem is when Ariola goes down, the whole thing falls apart because you don't have that guy who's going to be dynamic and stretching things and leading that press. And without him, 
you kind of have all these guys sort of looking to create off of someone who's not make. And I, and I think Ariola has always been undersold. You know, when even when the Acosta Rooney magic was happening, Ariola making those darting runs everywhere just opened up so much space for them, and and really kind of made that team so special. So with him gone. We just have DC United just seems to have a lot of guys who are just kind of all waiting for someone else to make something happen. And and Flores, while an excellent player, isn't he's just not that guy. Like he needs people to play off of. He's not going to, you know, turn a forty yard run out of nowhere and, and he's not gonna be like Ariola is and kind of having that engine. And I guess what's frustrating for me is you know, Casper is, is Dave Casper's constantly uh, praised for being shrewd, and he, you know, he he makes good business decisions, and that and, that, and he finds good players, and that's great. And as we all know, Ben Olsen loves Swiss Army Knife's players. He loves guys who can come in and play multiple positions, and they can solve multiple problems, and and you know, that's what he loves. But it it just seems like they there's this pragmatism with with roster creation and tactics. When it should be like, dictate how you want to play, find players who fit roles that you want. I don't want a guy who can play six different positions. Find the guy who does exactly what you want him to do. Okay. Not a guy who can, you know, who can do five different things and do all of them okay and or pretty good. And then, well, that guy can help us out here. And that's a competent player. It's like, get guys who do what you want to do, commit to them and go, you know, like, and I'd rather see. O'Neal Fisher out there at right back, bombing up the right and making something happen at least, as opposed to, oh, we have two center midfielders. Russell's a little bit more safe back there. Let's put him back there. Let's, you know, for me, I, I think Jason's exactly right. Like, figure out what you want to be and, and, and play that way and, and let guys go for it and see what you have. But right now, there just seems to be this very kind of pragmatic way of building the team and then putting a team out on the field that. You know, it just doesn't inspire much in me. Like, I I don't know what D.C. United is trying to do right now except not lose soccer games. Like, that is what they seem built to do. That seems what Ben Olsen's main goal is. And, like, okay, well, you know, why am I paying for a season ticket to watch a team, like, work really hard to not lose soccer games? And I don't know. Like, I, I, I guess that's sort of what I what I want to see more of. Yeah, part of me understands in MLS, especially going back through MLS, the the inclination to get Swiss Army Knives, especially since you can line up a few different Swiss Army Knives because you know somebody's going to fall through at some point along the way. If you are banking on getting a guy to make your system work and it falls through, your system doesn't work. I understand that fear, but you... The, the correct way to alleviate that is not to dial back away from the system you think will actually win games and win championships to something more milk toast and safe because those you, you can pull those deals off more regularly. It's to invest more in scouting and in, invest more in player identification and invest more in players as well so that you get the you, you find the guy you figure out who the guy is and you land him and DC United is behind a lot of teams on that. Even as they have staffed up off the field, they are nowhere near the scouting level 
of even the Philadelphia Union at this point. Um, and that's saying something. You look at where the Union are right now, where they are now the favorites to win. MLS is back. and We're home, well, last place in our group. What, what's interesting with the Union is that um, they did something that we used to assume would never work in MLS, which they hired the guy, the, the head of their soccer operations, making all the decisions, is someone who came in with no previous experience in the league. They hired a European and said, good luck with this bizarre uh, league that has no analog anywhere on earth. Um, but the positive side, when you hire that guy, um, and for Philly, it's Ernst Tanner, and there are a few other teams in the league that have someone like that, um, is the contacts that they have are hard to replicate. Um, you know, Ernst Tanner uh, has done this at a high level in Germany for many years. So um, he has his own one. He has his own scouting that he's already got done that he's like, this is someone that maybe maybe at my, you know, Bundesliga post was maybe not quite good enough for that level, but would be really, really good uh, playing this style of play in MLS. Um, so he's got that knowledge. He's also got contacts that are just, you know, much like it's been hard for guys coming from Europe to replicate, you know, how do I do the, how do I handle the draft? Um, uh, because I don't know any of these coaches. Philadelphia's approach to handling the draft has said, no, thanks. Uh, we, we're not interested. Um, we're, we're not going to participate in this. We're going to trade our draft picks away and, and probably just stay home, um, which is one way to do it. Um, but well, and they can in, because they've invested so much in their academy that they're pulling yes, they, they, starters they out of their academy. Themselves. Yeah, they, they position themselves so that the draft is not really that important. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what's happening with everyone. Um, you know, it's it, that's not an exception for D.C. I mean, if you look at their last few draft picks, they have been drafting guys to play for Loudoun, um, which is how it should work, I feel like. If you have a draft pick in your hand on draft day at this point and it's not top three or four, you really should just be looking at someone that's like, this is someone that I think we can get up to speed um, in a year or two playing our system with our USL affiliate. Um, you should be looking to create the next Aaron Long, um, who, I, I mean, I say that, but Aaron Long got traded uh, twice within the league and played for Sounders 2, Timbers 2, Red Bulls 2 before he finally uh, broke through. So, you know, it's not a perfect path, but nothing, it's American soccer. We're never going to have a perfect path. Um, but yeah, I, I I guess this is kind of getting to one of my other um, the hangups is that, um, or maybe not hang up because I think the team is doing a little better with this. We saw this with Paredes playing real minutes, um, and, and being turned to, um, with, you know, important things on the line. I mean, important MLS is back is scare quotes, important in my mind. Um, at least, or at least the group stage was, um, but, uh, you have to be willing to give those guys the opportunity. Um, and so we saw Paredes get the opportunity and, and, you know, it is a two way street. Like the guys that are sort of on that yo-yo between in a normal season, between playing for DC and playing for Loudon, um, they do have to earn it. You can't just give them the minutes if they are the worst player at training it. Cause everyone knows who the worst player at training is. Um, these guys have all been playing long enough where they can see the player that's going to struggle in games and they're going to have a hard time, uh, on national television in front of a full crowded Audi field passing to that player uh, in a, in a tight spot, because they're like, I remember every single training session where he just, it, it screwed things up. Um, but if they're earning it or if they're even close to earning it with like 
15, 16 year olds, you, if they're close, you have to sort of roll the dice on them a few times. And that was an instance of progress, um, seeing Paredes get those minutes. Um, but I, I do want to see a little more of that. Um, when, when is Moses Nyaman going to get his, his opportunity? Um, in, in the first team in a real game, not in a, well, it's the open cup or it's, you know, this or that. Um, and in general, I feel like the integration between DC and Loudon is not bad, but it could be a lot better. Um, we're not seeing players. I mean, granted last year was Loudon's first year, but we didn't see anyone play well at Loudon and then end up getting promoted to the first team, which is kind of the idea. You want to fill your, your first team, up with guys that got a year or two seasoning uh play learning how you want to play and then moving up i'll also add that uh, just to finish up loudon doesn't necessarily play the way dc plays because loudon plays the style that we were kind of told we were going to get at the start of the season they i think they play what ben olsen wants to play it's just that when push comes to shove what we want to play is not necessarily what we're willing to play um, yeah, and I think that's when we'll see Nyman get in the first team, when we are willing to play a central midfield that is not a deep double pivot and has a little bit more uh, dribbling and attacking oomph out of the, the number eight spot. That's when we will see Nyman in the field there because there is that disconnect between the style we say we want for DC United and the style we do get and then what happens at Loudon, which is much closer to what? we hear that they want, but kind of squaring that circle, I think is, is an obvious next step. And it's, it's weird and it's infuriating that the Philadelphia union, I don't hate the union, but it's weird and infuriating that they are the model right now that we need to look to. It's better than the Red Bulls. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'd prefer to look to Philly than Jersey, well, but I mean, honestly, if DC United came out and just played New York Red Bulls soccer top to bottom, I feel like we would all be pretty happy. It sucks to say it, uh, but we, we but, have, we've had this discussion before, like adopting their style of play would not be fun. It would be humbling, but also, uh, pretty, pretty viable. I mean, what's but, more American soccer than like just running the other team into the ground. But there's also like a perverse, like dignity and also like intelligence in that. And just being like, eh, this is who we are. Screw it. You know, like, yeah. screw, uh, I forget who made the. I think Sam made uh, Sam Stesfall made the joke on like uh, screw soccer. Let's just be legends. That's their tactics, which is like <laughs> like that's amazing. And and, and yeah. for me, but like that is kind of what I most want to see from 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 Ben Olsen is is that willingness to just basically. I do not think that he is inept or just so in over his head that he doesn't know how to put these players on the field to you know for me I think with Ben it's it's a it's it's a confidence thing and just being like look at look at what happened with San Jose the other night they went out and they got absolutely smoked by Minnesota United they got humiliated they lost 4-1 they they gave up chances that would make other coaches have heart attacks but they've committed they're saying this is how we're going to play and this is what we're going to do. New York, basically, you know, the Red Bulls. Other teams are going to make fun of us. People are going to laugh at us. They're going to say we're playing like crap. We don't care. This is our game. This is how we're going to play. And 
to see glimpses of that with DC United. And then as soon as anything goes kind of wrong, which it's always going to happen, it's MLS. This is a singular league. Things are always going to go wrong. You can't just go out and buy replacements like you can in other places. You have to adapt and to see Ben kind of turtle and basically try and, you know, maybe we'll get a lucky two on win if we can create a one of our attackers can create a moment of magic or we get him on a set piece and let's go to the double pivot let's pack the midfield let's just not get beat because i don't want to get run out and i don't get to get humiliated and you know nine and you're back on the bench you know for me it's just having that and i don't know if he needs more backing or if it's a confidence issue or if it's just the pre- the self-driven pressure to get results. But especially in that third game in, in MLS's back, I'm sort of watching. It's like, what's what are we even doing? What's the point? You know, wh- why are we even doing this? So <laughs> so we only lose by a few and then okay, we held, hold our heads like at that point, I just I just don't know what it's building toward other than let's keep this the the you know the the a strong base let's keep our defensive shape and then maybe we'll go and get a dp and mesut ozil will agree to come join this coffee shop in audi field and then he can open things up for us again like that just seems like what the waiting period is it's like mm. all right we know it works when we get luciano acosta and wayne rooney up top let's just kind of hold the fort until maybe we can get that kind of game-breaking player to come in and do it and Flores, who I think is great, isn't that guy. Okay, whoops, you know, another lost season. For me, it's like that's just not good enough. Yeah, I think and we've also- seen we we've seen, and it's become a meme, right? Where DC United is is good in one year and bad the next, and good one year and bad the next. It's a it's a yo yo club without well, relegation and promotion. Um, and it is. I will say though, are are they like? There is that there. We've had a couple of years there where DC United actually was okay. That are that get lumped into the idea of bad year. Um, right. There's there's bad like, and there's bad. Right. Like yeah. DC DC got over DC got fifty points in 2019, and yet universally, like not just within a fan base that is just tired of not being great, um, but like universally, the thought is like, well, DC was pretty bad last year, right? And it's like they did get over fifty points. It's just mm-hmm. that they got 50 points in in a way that none of us really enjoys. I don't think the players enjoy it. I don't think the coaching staff enjoys it. Um, you know, there's the idea that uh, Olsen is very defense-minded or like that he prefers this, and I don't think that's true. Um, you know, the teams he played on as a as a youngster at UVA in the early years with D.C., these were not defensive teams. These were teams that are like, we're going to outscore you guys. Uh, you're not going to be able to handle us. And, you know, that's it. You're screwed today. Um, they were arrogant attacking teams. Um, and I think that's in there. It's just that I don't know, you know, maybe we just got used to the, you know, for for so many years there where it was like, this is the best thing that this team can do is not have a terrible season. And so it became all about, well, let's not have a terrible season and maybe we get lucky at some point and, and get something out of it. Um, I would have bet the world on that being an MLS cup run and not uh, the worst team in, in league history winning the open cup. 
Um, but it happened. It, it did happen once. But at a certain point, you've got to be tired of the ceiling for these these down years being 50 points. And it feels worse than 50 points. And it seems like that's that's maybe what gets me is that those those seasons offer a kind of a false sense of security, a false bridge to another year. They sort of extend you for one more year to keep doing the same thing um, because it's not bad enough to really say, like, we need to strip this thing down to the foundation and start over. Um, but at a certain point, if that's all you can do, then you have to do it anyway. Um, and I think that's where the team is at right now is that we've had several years that were not bad, but we're also realistically not going to win anything. Um, and getting stuck in that cycle means that you're, you're not winning anything just as much as the teams that are like, screw it. We're going to start over. We're going to have a, like next season's going to be rough. Like we're going to have some young guys that are going to get, uh, hammered, but they're going to get better. Uh, we're going to get better at playing this style of play. Um, I think of teams that have done this like Jason Christ's RSL, as much as I don't think Jason Christ is a, a particularly great coach, um, when they implemented the diamond, it took them a full year, a diamond heavy possession style of play. It took them a full year of not being very good. And then the next year they came back and they said, we're still doing the same thing. Um, we took our lumps last year, but we learned a lot from it. And all of a sudden they got better. And yes, they, you know, they won MLS cup as the classic, like the, the worst seed in the playoffs winning wins MLS cup. It's the classic uh, thing that you do. But they're then the after that, they team, were good. They're the only team that won MLS cup that could have been eliminated on the last day of the regular season. And instead DC United went home. DC United could have kept them out of the playoffs and changed MLS history. <laughs> I'm still fixated on that game in Kansas city. Fred's handball on the goal line. Ah. I want, I want a podcast like a, a deep dive podcast or <laughs> multi episode season looking just at that game right. and all of the various angles at it. Um, I think you guys have hit, or between the three of us, we've hit five of the six areas I wrote down. The last one that I have down here is the the relationship with the supporters, which was was poisoned when Tom Hunt was was running the business side of the team and poisoned but good. Um, and it still hasn't gotten back to anywhere near where it was at, at RFK before Audi Field opened. And I think that the team has work to do and the supporters have some soul searching to do, but mostly the team has work to do to regain the supporters trust and to try to get their zhuzh back. Um, Because a lot of the supporters just, they're not feeling it. It feels transactional to them right now. And that's not how supporters work. And you want them living and dying for your club. And right now they're not uh, in a lot of cases. And the team has to, figure out what they can give the supporters and what they, what confidence they can give the supporters to bring them back in, in heart and mind. And I don't know what that is. I I think I I have some ideas about, you know, showing humility and trust in the supporters. Um, But it's definitely something that, that I think of as DC United. Like when you think of DC United, you think of the bouncing stands at, at RFK, you think of the flags waving and the TIFOs that's DC United to me as much as anything on the field is. And until that is back in the Chico stand, um, it, it won't be a hundred percent 
the way it should be for me. And I will say, you know, the messaging, as Jason mentioned at the top, is getting better. And the content, they are paying homage to the the incredibly illustrious history of the club, which for three or four years there, they just didn't, which was bizarre and weird. And it's kind of a... Yeah, and insulting, honestly insulting. You know, I mean, at the start of when they opened Audi Field, it it was like an expansion team was joining there. You would have no idea that there was any history there. The content that they were creating when they were creating it was about new and Rooney and that this is a new chapter and new DC, new team, new fan. It was was just... Hey, they had a hype man. Yeah, they... How many games did he last? One game? One game. A hype man for one game. It was just, and I mean, for people who were at that, I mean, I wrote about that game. I was in the press box for that first game at Audi Field, which the supporter stand was not, was full of just people who bought tickets. And it was eerie and quiet. I mean, Ben talked about, I mean, I think he led his press conference after the game with it um, about how strange it was to be in a complete sellout which DC United should be counting as their, their biggest win. And it felt, it felt like you were in a, in a church. I mean, it was quiet. It was weird. It was eerie. The thing is they are, the messaging's getting better. The content's getting better. I have seen them reach out into the city in a way they haven't before. However, the relationship with the, with the, the supporting sections, it, it can't just be done through Twitter videos and, you know, uh, throwback Thursday posts. At a certain point, you have to get out there. You have to get at the table. You need to talk with them about what, you know, honestly, if you want to be transactional with it, be transactional with it. Club, what do you guys need for you to do your job for us, which is creating the best home atmosphere? And making this a play because, you know, why do people want to go to DC United games? If the soccer is going to be this, it's not going to be that. You know, <laughs> at a certain mm-hmm. point, it's it's atmosphere, it's mood, it's experience, it's the beer getting thrown up in the air, it's it's the chance, it's the singing. That is what you're paying for. And if the club can't sort of understand that they have a very selfish motivation in making the the supporter supporter sections and those groups feel as at home, as loved, as passionate as possible. Like that's, that should just be, that should be business. Like that's marketing. That's, that's just, that should be selfishly. They should be wanting to do that. And the resistance to it, um, or just the, not the willingness to put in the time that it needs. And it's not a ton of time. It's a little time that that's, you're totally right. I mean, that, that, that needs to happen. Yeah. On the messaging, I, I will say that we on this podcast have benefited from what the team is doing to outreach, to, to reach out to supporters, created media. Um, we're listed on a podcast list on, on the team's website. Uh, Jason, Ben and I got to host the pregame season ticket member uh, chat and, and, the before the Montreal game, board. We, we we brought them their only loss uh, at MLS's back. It was a curse. I, I said we've benefited, <laughs> not they've benefited. Yes, uh, from from those activities. Um, I I promise I will do no more silly couch dances 
on virtual (laughs) (laughs) during DC United games. That is my promise to you listeners. It is a sacrifice I am willing to make uh, along with my mustache. Yeah. I mean, just, just in general, this goes back to, um, and I, I mentioned this article from dirty South soccer again, but um, what Nate's talking about, what Adam's talking about, it's, it has to be fun. Um, You have to give people fun. Um, and some of that is people in the stands making individual decisions and the relationship between the supporters groups has gotten better. Um, maybe it's maybe not perfect, but it's gotten better. Um, and when, when DC has had big goals and big moments over the, since moving to Audi field, it has mostly felt like what it's supposed to. And it maybe doesn't, it's not going to, it's never going to be the same for me as RFK because it's, I, I, my soul belongs at RFK at all times. Like I, anytime I'm not there, which is now a long road in front of me for the rest of my life uh, is not right. It, it's not, it's off in some way. So it's never going to be perfect in my mind, but um, there is, you know, there is a loud roar. There is real engagement. You feel people ha- like if you're in the building, you can feel that there's real emotion um, that was maybe not there for a little while. Um, so that part is good. It's not perfect, but it's it's getting there. Um, but you have to give people fuel for that. It, it that's never good. It, it can come from a for a certain amount of time. It can come from the fans themselves. But at a certain point, you got to give them something that is going to to replace that on its own. Um, and that's got to be the soccer. Um, what else is there? Uh, what else? What else can you give them other than the soccer side has to be thrilling? Um, and it might not always end in wins. Um, it might end in a wild draw or a wild loss. Um, but those are the kind of games where you kind of, you, you, you can live off of one game like that, especially if you're a fan base that lived through, you know, DC United 2013, uh, up, up to Audi, Audi Fields opening. Um, you can get, you can squeeze the lemon and get a lot out of it, um, out of a, a couple of things, a couple of big moments can go a long way. Um, that is what this podcast and the site have uh, had to get by on. Like we, we know very well uh, that a few things can be a big deal, but you have to provide those things and hopefully provide them more often than it being this oasis in the desert. Um, and the style of play DC was talking about coming into the season was a move in that direction to give people the entertainment value where it wasn't going to be come see Wayne Rooney and Lucho Acosta do some stuff. Uh, and, and the team will be there as well. It was going to be a full team approach to giving people the reason to get excited. Um, it's just to then come out for MLS is back and revert to the old ways uh, is tough to take because we've, we've spent months of nothing. We've got no soccer at all. And life is difficult now and you want something to grab onto and it's the, we're going to press for 15 minutes and then drop off and then try and try and manage the game and watching Toronto pass circles around you. Um, that's tough. It's tough to take um, when you're dying for something exciting. Um, and I, you know, I do want to add in that it's tough to adapt a whole new way of playing uh, when you're used to playing one way for many years and you're trying on the fly during a pandemic year with various world historic crises happening all around you to try and switch over. That's the worst year to try and do that. 
Um, but at a certain point, you got to overcome some obstacles. Like sports are not easy. Uh, they are full of obstacles. You have to take challenges and get over them. Um, and commit to the bit. Yeah. Uh, and I want to see, I want to see DC commit to the bit. I, I want, I want what I was told was coming in February is, is basically that's the next step for me. I, I just want to see that. Um, and if the team happens to finish in eighth and miss the playoffs this year of all years, who cares? Uh, this year, everything is bizarre. I can't get mad at a team for missing the playoffs, trying something, but you got to try it. If you just miss the playoffs or if you come in seventh place doing the same old, same old, that's not, what does that, what does that do for anyone? After seeing what happened with DeBoer at Atlanta, did it ever cross You're not going to say that DC United should hire him, are you? (laughs) I couldn't. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't. I couldn't emotionally <laughs> handle it. Um, no. Uh, and then DC's performance. Did it ever cross your mind that they? This is never going to be the breaking point for Ben. Um, there's too much goodwill there. I am curious. Is Orlando's roster that much better than DC's roster right now? No. <laughs> Uh, it's an easy it's answer for me. It's no. It's no, no right? Yeah. I mean, and, and I know Pere has an incredible coach, and he's he's done well everywhere. I don't know why more teams weren't busting down doors to hire him. Um, but watching what he's done in such a short amount of time there, um, watching what he's done at Minnesota with a team that's medium. <laughs> that roster yeah. is – Medium Extremely good. medium. That is they've a got, medium roster. Um, yeah, they've got Jose Aja starting games with alongside Michael Boxall, and they're yeah, they, they look good. That's um, a medium team, and, and, and that's I think that is what makes me a little nervous. Is you know we can pick apart roster, roster construction and philosophy and being pragmatic and stuff like that, but. And and you know I'm not saying that Ben needs to go out and be, become San Jose and we're man marking for 90 minutes. We're going to play <laughs> banana gram soccer, but like watching what really good coaches are doing with installing a philosophy, getting players to buy in and then getting really good results pretty quickly with rosters that are not a lot stronger than DC United. That you know, That's what makes me, I have defended Ben for years and years and I will continue to do so. I think he's a great guy. I think he's great for the city. I think he's been a loyal and great servant to this club and and got them through some years where they didn't have an okay to good roster. You know, they have an okay to good roster now. There were years where he was playing the best hand he was dealt and he had to do what he did. But at this point, that's not the reality anymore. Um, And I know he can show he can get results in this league, but seeing what those other clubs are doing with rosters that aren't demonstrably better than DC United makes me wonder, like, you know, is it a confidence issue? Is it something like something's not happening here right now where a team that should be performing better than we saw at this tournament is just not getting there. And is, if anything, a, a thing or two goes wrong and they're regressing. And that makes me nervous. Yeah. I think the league has gotten to the point now where pragmatism can and does hold you back. The league is better now. It's good enough to commit to an attacking or pressing or some kind of philosophy and then 
go out and make it happen. The players are good enough, even if you don't get your your first choice guy. Um, the situation I alluded to earlier, you can make a system that is, you know, dogmatic about something and make it work in this league because the the player pool has reached that point. And if you're pragmatic and, and sitting back, you're giving yourself a very small margin of error. And uh, I think it was Charlie Bohm wrote a thing a couple of weeks ago about DC, uh, about MLS entering the, the age of the celebrity coach um, and, and creating their own celebrity coaches like Poppy Pereja um, who, who came in and has done an incredible job in, in Orlando. Um, Pereja is somebody when he left Dallas, I was like, okay, maybe when the DC job is vacant, he will be available because I would love to have Pereja come here the way he builds from youth and the way his attacking and possession philosophy, but playing in transition at the same time. I really like Oscar Pereja. Um, I, I would like to see Ben take that step. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm in exactly the same boat as Nate where I, I love Ben Olsen as a human being. And, uh, that, you know, that, that does affect my opinion of him as a coach, but he also got DC United through the incredibly lean years Granted, it was a time when I don't think there's another coach who would have been able to win anything with those players who would also be willing to go through the crap that Ben Olsen had to go through with that roster and with those limited resources in a decrepit building that I love, also love with all my heart. Um, that is also no longer the reality. DC United can hire anyone in the world at this point, almost, you know, within reason, you're not going to hire Pep Guardiola, but probably, Uh, but (laughs) there, there are lots of capable coaches who would be willing to come to Audi field and, and to take the, the almost done practice fields at Segra and, and lead this team. It's no longer the case where Ben Olsen is the only reasonable person willing to take the job. So (laughs) there's, there's a few different considerations here. And Ben Olsen himself said it on, on this show that uh, if, if his numbers called and his time at leading DC United is done, he will be grateful for everything he had. And he knows that's the business. The, the thing I'll add is, is there's an idea of Ben Olsen as a coach that is out there that is in the fan base and also nationally. And I don't think it's an accurate idea. I've always said this. I've, I've come up on this show over and over again. I think he's perfectly capable of instituting the, the style of play that we want. But those things, it takes a conviction and a willingness to, when it goes wrong a couple of times, to keep going. Um, you know, Oscar Pereja's teams uh, in Colorado, in, in Dallas, and now with Orlando, it didn't start perfectly. Um, Orlando didn't, uh, look brilliant in the first two games of this season. Um, but the, the, I think the difference is that in DC, we're kind of stuck in this cycle of being, it's sort of like the cycle you see with, um, clubs in Europe who are settling in to avoid relegation and you keep avoiding relegation and that's pretty good, but you're never going to go beyond that. Um, you get caught in a rut where it's like, well, if we can just do that again, 
that'll be good enough because the alternative is a risk. It comes with the possibility of a really big punishment. The difference is that in MLS, the punishment isn't really there. Um, I mean, the, the punishment in MLS is that attendance drops some, you know, in, in, in DC, especially, you know, every sports team around here that has had bad years, their attendance drops off a cliff. Um, and when they're very good, people care. Um, I was at the last Caps game uh, in the, um, I can't even remember the coach, Hanlon, Brett Hanlon, the Brett Hanlon era. I was at the game, the last game that he he coached before he got fired. And there were like 5,000 people in the building and it was dreadful. And I felt bad. I, I had free tickets and I still felt bad. Um, I might have been in the building that day, actually. <laughs> it was right before Thanksgiving. They were yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, that was back when they had five or ten dollar tickets in the the four hundred yeah. level. I oh, went yeah. to as many as I could, yeah. <laughs> just to watch Ashkin. Um, but but you know, that was that was what happens if you're bad. Is yeah, attendance drops off, but that's that's it. Like you don't the the club's financial future is not in question. Um, you're not going to get thrown out of the stadium. Um, none of that stuff is at at risk. So at this point, I I think we've all done enough of the cycle of low risk, but also low ceiling uh, soccer. And at some point, and I think he's got it with it. I, this is the, the reason I haven't given up on Olsen is because I believe that it's in there to coach a team that can play that style of soccer that is open and is fun and also is winning games. Um, but you got to commit to the bit. Like, like Adam said, you got to go with it. Um, full time. It can't be when Rooney gets here, we'll do it. And it can't be the 2016. Wow. Every single player happens at the same time to be playing at the absolute peak of their abilities. Uh, and then next year it's all going to go back to normal and we'll find out what's actually real. Um, those times were fun, but it's only a few months. Um, that's not, that's not going to cut it anymore. Um, so I want to see, I want to see him push for like i've said now i think twice so this will be a third time what we were promised in february i want to see it um i want to see it committed to full time even if you come out against tfc and you say wow tfc is pretty good it's going to be a tough game to play that way do it anyway um if you play lafc play it anyway do what you're going to do and see where you are and see if you can make it work um take the risk uh because Otherwise, we're stuck in this sort of purgatory, and I, I'm kind of tired of purgatory. Yeah. The answer what? is if you come up short in those games against Toronto FC, against LAFC, you come up short, you're not able to go toe-to-toe. Next year, get the players and figure out what went wrong and fix it. Do better next time. Yeah. Has there ever been a time in soccer history where a professional team at this level has had less Things that could what what are you risking here? There are no fans in the stands. Even if they can't come, it's literally going to be limited to like five percent of the capacity. You can't get relegated. You're probably not winning a title. So who cares? Play the kid. Go for it. Like at this point, there is nothing stopping you. Like there is no reason other than like job security and I guess like basic human shame from like not just absolutely just going full bore and trying it because at this point, like does anyone think DC United's winning, winning an MLS cup this year? No. Like if they did, it would be the, the 
MLSiest thing to ever happen, and it's probably not great. So go, just just do it. Go for it. Play, you know, play nine minute at the eight. Let's see what happens. Like, do we? Re- we know so what happens. Lose. Yes, we we know what happens when it's Felipe and in 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 the two man pivot, and we play Segura on a wing, and we run Sorga up there, like. We've seen what happens. It's not a lot. Not a lot happens. Like we've we've done that before. So why not? You know, throw Griffin Yao out there for twenty minutes a game. See what happens. Like at, at this point, it, why isn't Pines playing more? You know, like like try it. Like do stuff. I don't care at this point. Like see what you have because otherwise, you know. If I have to sit through just eking out nil-nil draws for the rest of the year, like I'm just—I don't know what what the point is. I don't have an up note to end this on. I don't know. <laughs> sorry, guys. I'm sorry. No, no, I think I think this team does have the potential to be fun and go out there. I think there there's some personnel changes that Ben Olsen needs to be brave enough to make. He needs to stick to his conventions or to to his attacking inclinations that the three of us think are there um, and and actually go out and do it, even if it means losing games, because the ceiling is so low right now with taking no risk that you have to take the risk. And, and as Nate said, the downside risk is pretty low. 2020 is a free pass uh, for soccer teams. Yeah. Um, as long as you don't do anything like racist or destructive to society, it's probably going to be okay. Um, I mean, the one team that was that their coach was under genuine pressure, they fired him. That's it. That's that's everyone else is kind of like, all right, fine. I get it. The world has been thrown into complete chaos. Your plans have been thrown into complete chaos. I understand. We'll come back. We'll we'll circle back to this at the end of next year when your plans will actually show through or not. Um, so yeah, like, uh, give us, get, you know, try it. Try try the idea that uh, the team is going to be more aggressive. Maybe not full time high press. It wasn't even that was the other thing. Is it's not even like we're going to full time high press everybody. It was like some of the time we're going to high press. Um, so it wasn't even particularly high risk. This wasn't like we're going to change our formation um, to we're going to play three four three and high press. And uh, you know Hamid has to be full time sweeper keeper. And our center back is going to be more of like a Beckenbauer style libero. Like that wasn't on the table. It was just being more aggressive uh, and playing four three three instead of four two three one, which you know the the narrowest of differences in modern soccer. Um, just do it. Like that. That's all. Uh, do it, and I'll I'll you know lose a couple games three two. Okay, I get it. Three twos. Go no. Go ahead. No, I'm just. This team has. Yamil Assad and Julian Gressel, two of the players who brought me more random joy watching MLS over the last five years than probably any. Like, I, I just want to see what can happen if, if we kind of go for it. Gressel's a guy I key in on as someone who, like, guy tries shit constantly. Just, he just like, probably too much. Like, like <laughs> but if we just get some people making runs out of midfield or making runs from the opposite wing or do like, this is a guy who can break open a game with a pass. And right now he just 
is making game-breaking passes to no one because no one makes any runs and everyone's so worried about their defensive responsibilities that they get the ball. It's like, oh, let's just possess for a second. Then all of a sudden, you know, he's just dying to make stuff happen. And for me, like, looking, still even looking at this roster, like, this should be a good team. Like, this should, I'm not saying, like, you know, this isn't LAFC. That's fine. This is a team that should be in the mix in the East and playing really entertaining, good soccer because they have players who we've seen do it, and and that's the the like that's what I that's what I hope for. That's a somewhat hopeful end. Julian Gressel yeah. tries fun stuff. I, I like it's him. good enough for me. Thank you all <laughs> for listening to this, Nate. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find you online. Uh, I'm on Twitter at a Nate Scott. All right. And of course, be sure to check out the sneak season two. find us at black and red united.com. We're on Twitter at filibuster DCU at black and red U for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth is the best advertising there is. So we will ask you to do that for us. And if you feel like supporting us financially, patreon.com slash filibuster is the place to do that for jason and nate and hoping ben is having a good time on the beach i'm adam and we'll talk to you again real soon say goodbye jason do you guys know anything about erie pennsylvania (laughs) no during the recording of the show i've been asked by a friend to go pick up something for his work in erie pennsylvania and i'm actually considering it because i've been cooped up for so long that it a a drive somewhere seems interesting that's reasonable. I know nothing about it. I know okay. there's a TV show called Erie, Indiana at one point. The the collar bomb incident, that guy was in Erie. That's what I know about Erie, Pennsylvania. Oh, the, the guy that had the collar bomb and was set there for a robbery, uh, and, it, and it actually did go off, and there was a whole documentary about what it. What was that Netflix movie called? Uh, that's some uh, ridiculous I can't remember. title. Mad, Mad Genius or Evil yeah. Genius or something Evil like Genius, that. Evil Genius, that was the title. Yeah, um, that's what I know about Erie, Pennsylvania. I might go there a, literally tomorrow. That's a cocky-ass title for your true crime. Uh, <laughs> and you- it is.